So the clocks went back an hour last night, which means we all benefited from an extra hour in bed, which was particularly great for me because being in bed is my favorite place in the whole world. I just love being tucked up snug, warm and comfortable under the duvet. We're thinking about love today, but I know one of the things that Zoe doesn't love about me is that I hate getting out of bed in the morning, or even the afternoon, but it sounds better if you say <laughs> in the morning. Zoe leaps out of bed with gusto when the alarm goes, but I am so slow getting up, especially like now when the weather starts to turn and it's just a little bit cooler outside. I mean, what sensible person wouldn't rather stay safe and warm under their duvet than risk getting cold by venturing out from underneath the safety of the covers? So every morning I stay safely in bed as long as humanly possible, even trying to get as much work done as I can while remaining entirely horizontal, sending emails, reading the news. I even wrote at least half of this morning's service in bed on my iPad. And even with an extra hour in bed asleep last night, I still struggled to get out of bed this morning. And so if you are watching this on Facebook in bed this morning, at what would technically be gone 11 o'clock without the clock change. Well played. You are my absolute heroes. Bed is great, but this morning I have crawled out from underneath my duvet because I am excited to tell you about this Chinese symbol and also because Zoe told me to. At the first glance, this looks a bit like a sort of a smiling man in a large hat running away to his left and to our right. But I want us to look a little more closely this morning because this is the Chinese symbol I, or I, which are my hideous mispronunciations for the traditional Chinese word that represents love. While there are thousands of different Chinese symbols, each Chinese character is formed from a, from a combination of around 200 simpler components known as radicals. And the word love is made up of 13 brushstrokes, but four of these radicals. And the story that they tell is a great introduction to our theme this morning. The first radical, right here in the center of the word love, is this symbol, is this symbol and that's the character for heart which is not really surprising because heart is almost universally considered to be the core, the seat, the center of our emotions, and therefore this sort of symbol, whether it's our heart shape or this word for heart, is often associated with the idea of love, romance, and attraction. But what might surprise you is the second radical, which is this one, and it's simple, sitting on top of the heart. This is the symbol for covering you see, the heart is at the center of love, but that heart is smothered, covered over, shielded, and protected. This same radical could be used for the sort of covering you might put as the lid on a saucepan, or perhaps just entirely wrapping yourself up in a duvet. This symbol of love, then, tells the same story that we read in the Bible, that we were designed with loving hearts, we were designed in the image of the God of love, but that our hearts are covered up, are hardened, and constrained. In the Bible, this 
covering these inhibitions, anything that covers or smothers our hearts, that constrains us from living fully in love, is what the Bible simply describes as sin. But the good news of this symbol, the good news of the gospel, is that this covering is not the whole story. It's not the end. We're only, in fact, halfway through. Because the next symbol, the third of the four radicals, has a different story to tell. At the top, above the covering, is this symbol. This is the symbol for a hand, or when it's used at the top, it's a heavenly hand reaching down from above. More specifically, in this case, it actually represents a claw or some talons reaching down from heaven to tear away the covering, to remove the barrier which would otherwise cover and suppress our hearts. Kind of like Zoe has to sometimes pull the duvet away to force me to get up in the morning. But this is not something we can always naturally do for ourselves, but rather something supernatural that comes from above to tear away from outside of us. And so that allows the fourth and final symbol here at the bottom. And there, your initial reading might have been correct because there really is a sense of running or rushing. This is the symbol for friendship. But not friendship or relationship that's static, but it is a pair of sort of running legs because the meaning here is not just a passive feeling, but love is the act of reaching outside of yourself, of actively pursuing somebody else to build and form relationships. This is a symbol which calls our liberated hearts to pursue a sort of proactive quest for friendship, a friendship that's active, urgent, intentional, and sacrificial. Love, then, is an action. Love is a quest. Love is a response. But one that we are only liberated to pursue if we allow God to tear away anything that first is covering our heart. Because this entire symbol, this story, and God's story declares love to be an active verb and not a passive noun. You see, I don't really hate getting up because I want to stay in bed. I actually know I have better things to do. It's a fear of feeling cold if I let go of the covers that keeps me lingering just a little bit too long in the warmth. Love is something we are designed to do but inhibited from by a blanket of fear. Yet ultimately, we can be released to love if we allow God's hand to tear away that covering, that fear that covers and constrains our heart. So I wonder if we, as individuals or as a church, have been living for too long with our hands in our pockets or with our hearts covered over. This symbol, this story of Mr. Indifferent and our reading this morning remind us that fear is not a safe, warm, comfort blanket we should cling to, but a barrier to living lives of loving action. Because love is not designed to be a warm, fuzzy feeling for us, but a call toward action and relationship with others. And so God's love has reached down from heaven. It's reached down from heaven to tear off anything that covers your heart, that we must choose our response. Do we pull the covers back over our hearts and stay warm and safe, afraid to act, afraid to leave our comfort zone? Or do we wake up fully 
and live fully the lives that we were designed to live. Well, today is Halloween, and so it seems appropriate that on this festival of fear, that this morning, Jesus' words will force each of us to make a choice, a choice between love and fear. As we've seen, love is a verb, not a noun, because love is not a feeling, love is an action. And love is the only adequate response to the love that God has already first shown us. And so this morning, we must each respond. We can choose love, or we can choose fear, but we can only pick one. You see, the response of the authorities to Jesus was fear. They were afraid that he would mess up their nice temple system. They were afraid of being wrong, afraid of losing control, afraid of losing money. And so for the past few weeks, we've seen them asking trick question after trick question to try to trap Jesus. Verse 28, however, contains the very last question that they will ever ask him, not because Jesus refused to answer anymore, but because after his answer to this question, their fear simply overwhelmed them. Verse 34, and from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. So on Halloween, let's look at what Jesus said that had the authorities so spooked. Jesus is asked, which is the most important out of all the 613 commandments in the Torah, in the law of Moses? And he replies in verse 30, quoting Deuteronomy 6, that the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The Oxford English Dictionary defines love as a noun, a name which names the feeling or disposition of affection or fondness for someone. But that's not nearly adequate to describe, to grasp what Jesus is saying here, because what Jesus describes is love as a verb, not as a noun. Love as an action, not as a feeling. As in this Chinese symbol, in the Greek Mark is writing in, and in the Hebrew he is quoting, love is never a noun and always a verb. This is a commandment then not to some warm, fuzzy feeling. You can't, after all, really command somebody else to feel something. But translated more literally, verse 30 is a commandment to passionately pursue God with every beat of your heart, to prayerfully seek to do God's will with every breath of your life, to fully worship God with every thought from your mind, and to freely serve God with every ounce of effort that you have. Not a lot of wriggle room, really. Loving God is not just a sort of occasional, pious, holy thing that we should tack on to our never-ending list of tasks and religious rules. Jesus does not say loving God is an extra thing or even an important thing. He simply says instead that it is everything. Love is not just something we should be feeling on certain special occasions, but the only thing we should ever be doing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Love should 
Love must consume every part of us, all that we have, all that we are, all that we do, and all that we are becoming. But although this then clearly leaves absolutely no room for anything else, it turns out Jesus isn't finished. Verse 31. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. You see, if loving God is everything, then the love of God is the foundation upon which all the other commandments depend. Loving our neighbor is part of our act of love for God. In verse 31, Jesus doesn't say to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. It's not about comparing the strength of our feelings. Nor does Jesus say to love your neighbor as easily as you love yourself. Because I don't think feeling love towards yourself is easy, unless, of course, you're Piers Morgan. Most of us don't find it particularly easy or natural to feel love toward ourselves. But fortunately, that's not remotely what Jesus is talking about. Because Jesus is not saying to feel love and affection for your neighbor as you feel love and affection for yourself. That would be rather ridiculous. Remember, love here is not describing a feeling at all, but commanding an action. Verse 31 implores us to act with compassion in caring for our neighbor's needs just as naturally, completely, and instinctively as we act to care for our own needs. Because love for our neighbor is not commanded as a feeling based on emotion, but an action inspired by God's love. It is therefore not about projecting some inward feeling outward, but about a response toward our neighbor, about sharing with them the natural, practical desire that we all possess to care for all of our own most basic needs. You know, a few weeks ago, when the petrol ran short, people immediately rushed out to fill up their own tank. When the pandemic started, many people grabbed tins of food and stocked up with loads and loads of toilet paper. We saw then how people instinctively sought to take care of their own most basic needs. This is what a response of fear looks like. Am I going to be okay? But in that same situation, some chose a different response. Because even while all those supermarket shelves were emptying, the lobby of this church, just through those doors over there, were filled to overflowing day after day after day with donations to the food bank. That is what a reaction of love in action looks like. How can I make sure others are going to be okay? To love others as we love ourselves is to act with kindness and compassion, to respond unconditionally in recognition of God's unconditional love for us and for them. Recognizing that we don't know the whole story, but that God, who fully knows them, fully loves them and fully cares for them. And that should be enough for us to fully love them also. The late comedian Robin Williams put it simply, everyone you meet 
is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Be kind, always. Like our Chinese symbol, the original Greek verb love goes beyond having a warm, fuzzy feeling towards ourselves, or even a fuzzy feeling about somebody else. Love demands action. Love requires a response. We are commanded to care for others' welfare as instinctively and as generously as we do our own. But unwrapping our heart, coming out from under the safe feeling of our covers, stepping out to acts of love towards virtual strangers is a frightening step to take. As Bob Goff wrote in his book, Everybody Always, about loving difficult people, what often keeps us from loving our neighbours is fear of what will happen if we do. You see, like the Pharisees in our reading from Mark, we approach love with a, with a fear of rejection, a fear of being laughed at, a fear of being taken advantage of, fear of missing out, fear of being misunderstood, fear of what it might cost. We're afraid that love won't work. And maybe just a little bit afraid of what might change if it does. Instead of loving God with all our heart, Instead of loving our neighbours as ourselves, we live trapped by the comfort blanket of our own fears, divided from one another, hearts blanketed and hands in our pockets, like Mr. Indifferent. But the good news is that this is only half the story. In 1 John 4 verse 18 we read, There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. The good news is we don't have to be afraid, and we don't even have to make the first move, but we do have to make a choice between a response of love and a response of fear. The first commandment is that hand from heaven that unbinds the covering over of our hearts and frees us to take our hands out of our pockets, because perfect love frees us from fear. But let me complete that Bob Goff quote, because in full, it is our sermon in a sentence this morning. What often keeps us from loving our neighbours is fear of what will happen if we do. Frankly, what scares me more is thinking about what will happen if we don't. Instead of being afraid what will happen if we dare to love our neighbours, as this is Halloween... <coughs> For the first, and I hope only time, there's one thing I actually want to encourage you to be scared of in church, because I think we should all be terrified what will happen if we don't love our neighbours. What will we, what will our church, what will our community, what will our world miss out on if each of us keeps our hearts covered up? Let's be honest, this isn't a rhetorical question because the answer is already all around us. We are living in a divided, fearful, angry, anxious, lonely, broken world. We live in a world of covered hearts. But there is a choice daily that we can each make between a response of love or fear, between living with a covered or an uncovered heart, between feeling love and becoming love. 
The teacher of the law clearly knows his scriptures inside out and even concludes for himself in our passage that love is more important than all the temples, burnt offerings and sacrifices, leading Jesus to say that he is tantalizingly near to the kingdom of God. Yet sadly, it seems for the teacher of the law, his reaction is agreement, but not obedience. His response is an intellectual one, but not a call to action. For the feeling the Pharisees ultimately choose is fear. And so instead of responding in love, those who have been challenging Jesus retreat, afraid of his answers. And within just a few days, their fear will ultimately condemn Jesus to death. A few weeks ago, Keith noted that when God looked at creation, he saw that it was good. Ten times this phrase is repeated at the start of Genesis. The light was good, the earth was good, the seas were good, the fruit was good, the creatures of every kind. Again and again and again, God looked at everything he had created and he saw that it was all good. But then comes the only time in the whole creation story that God declares something he has made is not good. And it's not Piers Morgan. But in Genesis 2 verse 18, the Lord God says, it is not good for the man to be alone. We are made in the image of the God of love. We are designed to live in relationship with him and with one another. Your heart is not supposed to be sealed over or preserved by a lid. We should not, cannot, must not, need not live like that because it is not good for man to be alone. Because love is God's character. Because love is God's plan. Because love is an active verb, not a passive noun. Because love is an action, not a feeling. And most of all, because love works. If you'll allow me one last Bob Goff quote for today, God doesn't say that loving our neighbours will be easy. He just promises us that it will work. Love works. What might happen in your life and in this church and in this neighbourhood if we fully trust in that promise? The Bible says, do not be afraid to uncover your heart. The Bible declares that perfect love casts out fear. The Bible promises that love works. So do not be afraid to love. Do not be afraid that love won't work. And do not be afraid of the transformation that will happen when it does. Because the only thing anyone should fear this Halloween is wasting another moment hiding underneath the covers. Amen.